I'm Buddy Martin, and this is the Best Fridays in Football podcast with Urban Meyer and Terry Bradshaw. So the other day, I was flipping back and forth on the channels on SEC, uh, and I saw a football game. I look, I recognized those uniforms. I recognized who the teams were, and it was, of course, a 2008 SEC championship game between Florida and Alabama, still one of the classics. And the guy I was watching on the sideline was Urban Meyer, who joined the program with me. And Urban, I know that was one of your coaching highlights. Uh, what were you thinking? You must have watched part of that. And I'm sure you've seen it before. I know you're excited about it. And what a game and what a performance. I've never uh, had the opportunity to watch a television or a version of that. Someday I will. I didn't know it was on. Uh, but that that is a classic. As you texted me and the fourth quarter in that game and the performance of, I just remember Tim Tebow and Lewis Murphy, uh, what happened in that game. I mean, Tim, even I talked to Nick Saban either the next year or down the road. And we, you know, he threw a couple balls that against that defense, that was one of the top defenses in America that most quarterbacks can't make. And he was, uh, Tim was electric in that game. And then you had Riley Cooper, Lewis Murphy, you know, Percy Harvin was out, so David Nelson had to step in. And two NFL players didn't play. We had Cornelius Ingram and and Percy Harvin not playing that game. You know, Cornelius got hurt preseason, but then Percy got hurt the week before. So uh, we had some guys step up and make some great plays. People forget Percy wasn't in that game. They showed him on the sidelines several times. You're right about Tim. I mean, I'm looking at that game. I'm thinking, look at these throws that he's making. I mean, whether it's a seam route he threw to Nelson or, or whether it's the, uh, the end cut or the look-in pass, touchdown pass to Riley Cooper or, or Lewis Murphy's sideline route, he was on the money. I'm thinking, how can this guy not play in the NFL? That was an NFL performance right there. So I'll ask you, how can this guy not play in the NFL? Well, I'm not an NFL coach. I know he finished second in the history of college football in passing efficiency and Ironically, the next game was against Sam Bradford. That's who was finished number one. I'm not sure if it still stands that way, but Tim finished his career as the number two passer in the history of uh, uh, college football. So that was his day. That was an incredible win. That was two sledgehammers. I remember getting ready to play Oklahoma the next uh, couple weeks, and our team, it took a while to recover from that. I mean, that was a pound you. Obviously, playing a team with the talent that both both teams had talent all over that field, NFL talent. Uh, but one of the great games in Florida football history and really SEC history. Talk about the penalty. That was one that was flabbergasting. I believe you're on the one yard or one foot line, and you got called for coaches and going on the field or something. Everybody was stunned by it. It goes, you go back to I think the six yard line. Now it's third and five or third, whatever it is. Anyway, it went from being a, a lock for you to be suddenly having to make a play, and you made the play. But talk about that penalty. What in the world happened there? So we're on the one-yard line. It's third down and one, and one of the Alabama players, whether intention or not, kicked the ball. And the officials blew the whistle, and our players started coming to us. To, our players thought it was, it was so loud, as you can imagine, in that arena. And our players, I remember, started coming to the sideline. And I, I was motioning them to stay there because it wasn't a timeout. I saw them resetting the ball, and the 25-second clock was getting ready to start. So I remember 
pushing them back out there. And I'm about four, five yards on the field and way back at the 35-yard line. And I see a flag come out. And I, someone says, all over the headset, so they, they threw a flag. They must have threw it on Alabama for kicking the ball. So I keep looking at my game sheet thinking it's going to be third down now at a half a yard. And all of a sudden, I see Chris Leak uh, look over at me, or no, Tim Tebow, and they're like, start arguing with the official. And i like, what, what's going on? And the guy comes over to me and said, they're calling a five-yard delay of game penalty on the bench on me. And I was like, you got, and I lost my mind for a minute, but now the clock's getting ready to get started. And I was like, you got to be, so now it's third down and six against Alabama's defense on the six-yard line. You don't score there. You kick a field goal. Alabama can still go down and win the game. And obviously they had an excellent offense as well. So um, the, the SEC uh, came out, or I don't think they did it publicly because I'm not sure they do that, but they apologized. They said that was a wrong call. That shouldn't have happened. And, you know, one of those things that will drive a coach crazy. You know, officials, I've always given benefit of the doubt, but that was a terrible call at a terrible time and could have been, you know, could have had historical ramifications you know Alabama goes down and score Florida never wins that national title that was amazing I wanted to share with you something I heard uh, from uh, Gary Danielson's producer uh, when the game was over they went down by the Alabama locker room stopped him and Danielson went in and and talked to Saban and the assessment of what happened he said there was no remorse on the part of Saban he was so impressed with the way Tebow played and, and if you can be okay with a loss, he was okay with that loss because he knows he got outplayed and outcoached in that situation. So a great win. And I'm also told, I heard from one of the former players, that for the next 364 days, the defense they practice against every, every day they practice was Florida's. So that game had a big, big impact. And I want to say one other thing. I know you won't want to weigh in on this, but at that point in time, you and Saban were neck and neck in terms of the best coach in all of football, not that you aren't, but, I mean, people regarded him as the greatest of all time, whatever. Fact is, you beat him there, and if you had had a little bit more luck and played better the following year, you might have kept him from ever getting that title because Florida was right there. But what a game that night and what a performance. Saban knew he got beat by a better team that night. Yeah, we've had some great games with them. And the next year, you know, those are classics. We, in, in our mind, as a staff, and uh, I'm sure the players felt the same way, and, and same with Alabama, that the national championship game is we, we played Oklahoma, and they were great. But uh, if you could get by Alabama, you knew you had a chance to win in the next game. And, and the next week, next year, same thing happened. Alabama beat us and went on to win the national championship as well. So, that was a you know preliminary national championship game. What makes Nick Saban so good? Oh, there's a many many reasons. I think his attention to detail, his focus, and the culture he creates, and his consistency is. That's why I you know people ask me, and it's really a no-brainer. Uh, why you know we had Fox TV listed the greatest coaches, and and we had him number one. Uh, it's time tested. He's uh, but his attention to detail, and I always, I always had a little routine. I would come in on Sundays and watch the special teams of the team we're getting ready to play. And if we're, if it was in disarray and you know lack of effort and all that, I knew we we're getting ready for uh, you know 
we're, we could probably name the score on the team we're getting ready to play. Uh, because if the offense, if you know, say the coach is an offensive genius or a defensive genius, but he doesn't spend time developing a culture, to me, special teams is all about culture. And that's uh, really that's the face of your program in my mind. If your special teams play, play relentless, it's important to them, then you have a very good culture in your program, and he does. He does. I remind Urban, before I let you go, I want to weigh in on the obviously the health crisis and the COVID. I've been following what you've been saying on Fox and some of your comments, and you had a kind of an upbeat comment on Friday about how you think things might be shaping up. It's anybody's guess. It changes by the hour. As we sit here right now today, where do we stand on having a football season, aside from the obvious, in 2020? I think it's going to be a season that uh, will go down in history. I do believe we'll play. I didn't say everyone's going to play. You know, the facts are facts that uh, every state has different protocol because they've been hit differently. They have different government officials that have different opinions on how to handle this. Um, but I also know that the ramifications of not playing are, are really going to be uh, difficult to overcome. And I'm not just talking about financial. You know, you talk about financial, but that's also Stanford just dropped 11 sports. Mm-hmm. My daughters are, you know, recipients of the Title IX and opportunity. My son's playing college football. I, I, I'm a firm believer college athletics uh, make people better. And taking away opportunity because of um, losing a season, that's something you just we all have to consider. So, yes, finances are important, but it's not all, you know, people hear that and say, well, it's all about uh, money for the universities, for coaches or for facilities. No, it's for opportunities for people to play college sports. And you'll see sports get dropped that maybe never come back. You'll see a lot of opportunities for people that disappear. That's the downside. I'm also a believer in the cliche, uh, necessity is a mother of invention. There'll be some changes uh, now in football and sports. Some of them won't be the worst in the world. I have a whole game plan I dreamed up 30 years ago called my manifesto, talking about a big boy football conference, super conference, and which would be now the equivalent of the Power Five conferences playing. And look, it's a TV product now, Urban. You know that. You're on television. It's good to help the smaller schools and have the cupcake games for them. But if you're competing for the dollar out there, you need to have a first-class game every Saturday, and that hasn't been the case with many programs. Do you think there's a, there's some kind of scenario by which we can see changes for the better with college football and the product we're putting on the field? I do, and, and I, I would not use the term better because I might have a little disagreement with you that I got into college coaching back in 1986 when coaches weren't making much money. I became the head coach of Bowling Green, and, and to this day, I'm extremely close with all those guys, and they played a game that changed their lives. They have life uh, moment, moments in their life they'll never forget. When you go up and score 29 points against Northwestern and win in the fourth quarter, you, you know, you do think, you know, they went one in 10, I believe, the year before, and we come back and win nine games. You know, you, to me, there's no price tags. Whenever I start hearing about this is about power five and money and, you know, the television contracts, it makes me kind of, shake my head and say, man, I wish I would have known that 35. And, and I'm a recipient. I made, I had a great salary when I was at Florida and Ohio state. And I'm not, I never asked for a nickel. I, I just signed whatever contract they gave me, but 
I don't believe that's what the athletics are all about. My kids are not playing sports. I have three children that are Division I athletes, and I could care less about whether they're on full scholarship, whether they're not. I want them to understand the, the life lesson of selflessness and team. There is a greater good. There's something more important than you, and that's really hard to teach right now. And so, no, I'm a, I'm a defendant of it. I think the non-Power 5 is incredible. I think we should expand it. I think we should continue to uh, support them financially so they can survive. And it's not about the school. Schools are nothing to me but brick buildings. It's about the people. It's about the player. It's about the person that straps on that helmet or plays volleyball that says, you know what, my life's a little better now because of the relationships and lessons I learned. So I'm, obviously you can tell I feel pretty strong about this. Uh, and I'm very disappointed in obviously the, a lot of the direction and conversations that I hear. It's a great point, and let me just sort of change my explanation to say I didn't mean to make it better from the standpoint of the game itself, although that's what we all want. I think there is a place for what we used to call Division Two or whatever they call it now where you could give them the entire spring and you could give them their own playoff system and they could have opportunities to have a whatever. I don't think you eliminate them, but the better experience I'm talking about is for the fans. And you know this in Ohio State where you have huge crowds and, you know, we're having, they're having to play now being socially distanced and it's going to be smaller stadiums and there already were issues with students and there's problems with the Wi-Fi and all that sort of stuff. I think the consumer part of it is what I'm talking about. And for the guy who's a girl who sits down in his living room or her living room, which is now, by the way, our stadium with the way the game is right now, to watch a game and a meaningful game and one between two college college football teams and maybe smaller stadiums and maybe not as many games, but it's still going to be great football. And I think what we're talking about is the same thing, the good of the game and for giving the smaller schools who are going to take a hit. Some colleges are going to be out of business. It's a terrible thing that's happening, but we have to figure out some way to make the best of it. I'm only suggesting an alternative to adapt when you have to. Can you come out of this with a better plan? Yeah, just the way my mind has been trained. And whenever I think of athletics, I think of the student athlete. I don't think of, like I said, I used to get in arguments with administrators all the time, and I would make it clear I do not work for the university. I work for these student athletes and their families. I go to work every day that I did for 35 years, and I, I did not say that in my mind I'm working so hard for this university because a lot of times I disagree with a lot of things universities do. I work for that family. That's why, you know, maybe I have given kids second or third chances because, the, you know, people would say, don't do that. And it's institutionally, that's not good or whatever. I, I, I didn't say I didn't care, but I never looked at it that way. And same thing for the fan. And, yeah, fans are, it's great. But once again, all conversation to me has always been about what's in the best interest of these young people that do all the work. And that's why I'm a big proponent about opportunity. I'm a big proponent about teaching the greater good and the selflessness that if you, if you can indoctrinate that into your program and into the lifestyle and thought process of a young person, you are successful. And that's, I mean, you know me for a long time, and I've, I've been saying that for many, many years because yes, yeah. I believe it. We recruited that way, and we ran our organizations that way. It's a great point, and you're a champion of the college football game, and it was sure fun to watch your team play against Alabama at the highest level maybe a Florida football team ever played. Uh, and uh, I know you were proud of it. And do yourself a favor. 
Get that video and watch it. You will be thrilled beyond belief again. Thanks, buddy. That was a great day. Thank you, Coach Urban Meyer. Talk to you soon, Coach. All right, buddy. Thanks for listening to Best Fridays in Football, and thanks to Urban Meyer and Terry Bradshaw. On behalf of Director Brendan Martin, Producer Andy Billman, and the good folks at Evergreen, I'm Buddy Martin, and these are the Best Fridays in Football. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.